Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery, a podcast for folks who have either left ministry or considering leaving ministry or uh, maybe are transitioning how they do ministry, or really, if you're just thinking about a vocational shift, this is the place for you. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah Heath. Our other host is Justin Gentry, and today is a really special episode. We asked one of our Patreons, so folks who have been supporting us, who are part of a Discord community called the Recovery Room, we asked one of them to join us today, Jeff Elkins, who is just an incredibly supportive member of that community and has such an incredible story. He actually has become an author since leaving ministry, but his journey to how he got there is inspiring. It's full of wisdom. It's also a little bit humbling as we learn that sometimes we may not be the answer to all the problems of the world. So I hope that you'll listen to this episode. I also hope you'll stick around for the quote at the end. And again, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. Friends, welcome to another episode of Recovery. We're so glad to have you here. We are so glad to welcome a member of our Discord community, guys. This this is the dream right here. It's like <laughs> the dream <I'm>, for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jeff, and uh, Jeff has been part of our community for a while. Such an active and wonderful part of it, and just super encouraging. His story is one that many of you can relate to. So we are excited to host him here. But we're going to start with a question that we often start with. And by the way, you know what? I should, we should introduce everyone. It's not like, we you know, I, yeah, I'm introduce Sarah. You. Introduce I'm Sarah Heath. I was a pastor for 16 years full time. And this is my co-host, the fantastic. Justin Gentry. I think I've settled on 12 years as the amount of time that I worked okay. as a pastor. Nice. You know, there's just, sometimes it gets blurry. Sometimes you're like, was I paid for this? Does this count? <laughs> So I'm just going to settle on 12. So was this official? Yeah, was this this felt very under the table. Like uh, 12 disciples? Yeah. 12 um yeah, 12 years. 12, 12 years a slave was it the, the perfect movie? Amount. <laughs> Something similar to that. Um, terrible, terrible. Jeff, we are so glad to have you here. Can you give us the info? A little bit about yourself, how long you served in ministry, what that was like for you, and then we'll dive in to even more. All right. How long I served in ministry? I started in 2000. I am old. I started in 2000. I was doing college ministry. Saw like super rapid growth. We went from like 50 students to 800 in like a month, which was a little crazy. 
obviously. What? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. amazing for my ego. Um, so yeah. <laughs> we right? like, yeah, we took uh-huh. off. I my job started is like I was the intern. I was like stacking chairs. There's me and one other guy. He was the speaker. And then like we grew super fast. And my job went from being an intern to like managing an 800 person community because he didn't. You know, the guy I worked with, who was great, didn't really want to do much besides speak. I was pre-med in college at the time. And I was like, oh, I'm going to med school. And then... Oh, my gosh. Welcome to yeah. the club. Raise, raise yeah. your hand if you were pre-med. <laughs> so, yay. Oh, <laughs> something about... Yeah. And so, pivoted, went to seminary in town, where that was. I went to Truett Seminary in uh, Waco, Texas. I was at Baylor University. Hook'em bears or what is it? Some bears? No, oh no, sick'em bears. Not no, sick em. hook them, hook em horns, sick'em bears. Hook'em horns, yeah. sick'em bears. I don't know sick'em what bears. they would hook yeah. if they were a bear. Sorry, they're close. Sick'em bears. This is a different motion than this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I did that for five years and then moved to inner city Baltimore and picked up my family, moved there and was the executive pastor of a church there for five years. And that was really, I think, when my deconstruction started. I was like one year into that really started to struggle with like, went from like this, like, you know, idyllic kind of college experience at a Christian university to like working with like generational poverty and homelessness and like working with addiction and like seeing the impacts of systemic racism and all of those great things that come with like city ministry. Leaving the, leaving the bubble. Yeah. Leaving the bubble, jumping in there. And then at the same time, like watching this church grow and like being a part of again what was like thought of as like a rapidly growing church just left a lot of questions a lot of like you know i remember i went out with an atheist this was probably when it started i went out with an atheist friend for lunch and we we're sitting down for lunch talking and he had been like reading the bible with me that was like i was you know cuz i was i was like the most evangelical of evangelicals and yeah. so he so, and you, had, so you convinced a friend to read the bible with you that was oh, an atheist oh yeah i was a, i was hardcore um and so he was reading <laughs> the gospels with it, and uh, yeah and he had started like attending the worship service a little bit and i remember we went to lunch and he sat down and he was like i don't understand how what you are doing in that building comes from this book (laughs) i was was like well you know so and you're like same yeah yeah Yeah. some other things like there was a lot of like little chips at my armor like i remember i was told over and over again in baltimore that you were the fastest growing church in baltimore city and like you're one of the largest churches in baltimore city we were the southern baptist convention and they were doing like this big push to like do all this church planting in the city all this like money was pouring in and people were pouring in and they're like you got to be the hub of a lot of this because you are the biggest church in the city which was weird to me because i had come from this church that was like two thousand people and we had like 800 college students and now i'm working this church in the city and we're like 150 people and like we had grown from like 80 to 150 so we had like doubled in size but it was like you know it was still like i was like this is small and they all these people are coming in from nashville telling us like no y'all are amazing and then i remember i was walking i used to prayer walk the whole city like i would like take neighborhoods and prayer Gosh, walk i would take neighborhoods i love it yeah yeah, yeah i mean yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, <clears throat> my like you know aggressive evangelical slash colonial lizing language of like i'm gonna take this neighborhood for jesus so i'd like take neighborhoods, <laughs> like yeah. prayer walk them and i remember i was walking through this one neighborhood and i came across a giant building and I was like, what is this thing? And I like went walking into it and it's clearly a church, but the auditorium seats like 
1500 people and i'm like this is huge and so i like find somebody i'm like what is this like oh yeah this is you know our church and i'm like how many people attend here every week and they're like oh you know ten thousand or so and i was like this is insane like what is what are they telling me i'm like the biggest we're like the biggest growing church we got like 150 people this is like this full unit well you know they were black and so Uh, like we didn't count them right like they uh, didn't count oh no and so that was the kind of stuff that like those types of experiences over and over again, just like, yeah, it started to chip away at like, and I was really starting to question like, who am I and what am I doing? And what is the system that I'm building? Like, what am I participating in? And so I ended up walking away. We were there for five years and we walked away. I thought I had a job lined up because, you know, this community is all about, you know, what happens after you leave. I thought I had a job lined up. I walked into that job the first day and they said, hey, we lost a bunch of contracts. We're laying everybody off in order of seniority. You have been here for 30 seconds, so you are first. So went home, told told my, I had a wife and uh, my wife, who's still my wife, I have a wife. And uh, back then we had three kids, all were the oldest one was in first grade. And then like a two littles. And so I told her, I was like, Hey, I'm unemployed. So the next day I went and got temp work. I went to a temp agency. I had reached out to a church, another like larger church in the suburbs of like, Hey, can they had a jobs finding ministry? I was like, Hey, can you help me find a job? And the guy like showed me how to write a resume, which was helpful, but not real helpful. And then (laughs) And he was like, just send this out. So I was like, well, I got to work in the meantime. So I went to work for a temp agency and I was, I spent three months at a like paper, a printing factory, literally like folding boxes. So like somebody would slide me a box and I would like fold it. And then I would slide it to the next person who would tape it. I did that for three months. And then I got a, the temp agency moved me because they found out I could use Excel. So they moved me to, I was the secretary for an events coordinator at the American Urological Association, which was fascinating because I had to, every day I had to walk in through the National Penis Museum. Obviously. Um, walk through this, like the urology. That's Obviously. That's the best. I left ministry and now I walk through the, this is what everyone has been warned about. Like <laughs> it was, was like, you I get because I still had on like I had deconstructed or was like struggling with my understanding of church, but I was still like I had on my holiness robes. I was still like I am the holiness dude. I rapidly grow churches. I'm the man, and I'm like walking through this like museum every day. It was one of the most humbling experiences ever. And then like one day, my wife shows up. When the kids like surprised me for lunch, I was like, I'll meet you outside. She's like, Oh, we're in the lobby. I'm like, Oh no. So it was just welcome. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. And that was a rough time. The pastors that were in my life, you know, we, I had been part of like bringing all of these church planters into the city and connecting with them and like helping them find neighborhoods and this big push that the Southern Baptist Convention was doing. They were planting like 25 churches in two years in the city. It was crazy. Uh- yeah, that's always the the fascinating thing. Like, and and you get kind of in that like almost growth mentality of like a business where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yay, we're great. And then you think about it, like, yep. wait, there there are already a lot of churches. Why are why are we building a new church? Right. I was part of a church plant, and you do start to think after a while, like, there's like already a ton of existing churches here. There's also already a ton of church plants, and like. 
what, why are we doing this again? Yeah. Like, what like, is our special thing? Like, why? Uh, why? Yeah. I can say that all of them, like, you know, I, I worked with all of this crew and I, I didn't work with them. I was kind of like their, their concierge, like their host. It was like, Hey, this guy is looking in this neighborhood. Jeff, can you like walk over there with him and like help him figure out what it is? And that was my role was like, Oh yeah, I'll walk over there. And it, there was a weird, like every single one of them was like, well, what are you bringing? That's like different to what you do. Cause they make these guys fill out these like massive applications. And like, there's this big interview process. And I remember several of them were like, well, you know, it's my flair. Like I have special flair. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it was just like flat out, like personality driven planting. And I mean, this was, Oh my gosh. I, again, I'm old. This was like 2004, 2005, but it was, it was weird. And again, that was one of, one of the things that was like, as the guy who's, I was never the preacher. I was the guy behind the scenes running all the ministries, like making everything work. And as the guy behind the scenes, for me, it was always a numbers game. It was like, this is like, I, I know the more people in the seats equals more tithing. I could tell you how long somebody had to be a member in order to become a tither. And like, I was tracking all of that stuff. And then on the other side of that, I'm like at night, you know, we lived in the middle of the city. And one of my favorite things to do is like, I'd sit on my front stoop at like 1am when all the homeless guys would walk by and we'd sit outside and like smoke cigars and like talk about life. And I had this like dual life going on where I was like, oh, I hang out with a lot of inner city kids and a lot of homeless people. And then I show up for work and I talk like small group strategy and like small group growth and like, oh, you know, yeah. yep. all this different stuff. So it's just this weird. So we left, I had those weird jobs and we were like, you know, oh, we're going to do it differently. We're going to build our own thing. And so I had this dream, like we gather a whole bunch of other like deconstruction people, people that were like also had most of them were people I had wounded in the church at some point. <laughs> I like went and found them. I was like, Hey, you remember when I was a jerk to you? It's like, why don't we come like reinvent church together? <laughs> this was during the like missional movement in the U S when like missional communities were the big thing. So uh-huh. we set oh, up this man. like, yeah, <laughs> it's like you, you can excavate someone's ministry comp- career based on the ministries. They started like what they were <laughs> called. Uh, and you can like feel the trade wreck coming. It's like, we were like, Oh, we're going to do this. I was really inspired by Alcoholics Anonymous because I had had a lot of work with them. And I think everybody at that time was. So we started this, like we built 14 principles and every week we'd get together and we'd like do this weird time of heavy confession where we were like, dang, passing how we did. We were like numerically measuring ourselves in these four That is so I so I am United Methodist and John Wesley would have been like, yes. Oh yeah, a- yeah. Absolutely like absolutely. So John Wesley is the founder of the United Methodist Church and we got called Methodist as like literally a put down because he'd be like, We need to rank all like the start of their meetings was like it, how is it with your heart? But really what they meant is like where did you screw up this week? It's right. Time, <laughs> like, time to write on it down. On a scale of one to 10, how is yeah, your heart? How bad are you? <laughs> how bad are you? Yeah. But it starts yeah. with like the assumption is that you're not doing great. I, you know, I will say John Wesley, there were a lot of things that he did that I'm like, yeah, creepy. I would say the most like power move he did was they like banned him from the church 
Like he wasn't allowed to preach anymore. So he like stood on top of his like grandpa's gravestone. He's like, I basically like I own this so I can say yeah. whatever I want. Do here, whatever I want right here. And yeah. I will preach from this spot right here. I'm like, that's, that is a power. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Like, well, and I was obsessed with spiritual disciplines. Like, you know, I read every Richard Foster book and I was Sarah and I, Sarah yeah. and I both nodding our heads like, yeah. oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, yes. yeah. I, I, yeah. That's a different story for a different time. Yeah. So we were doing that. And the deal, the one, the, the really good things we did was we were like, Hey, everybody needs to have a place where they're like changing something. They're doing some kind of justice work in the community. So everybody had their, like, like one guy formed basket, a basketball team for kids. And like one couple was like working at this big homeless ministry that we did. And my wife and I joined a group of parents to build a public charter school, which was super transformational and really like beautiful work so there was like good things that came out of that season but there was also a lot of like weird me angry and them being like hey we just want you to like give us some direction here and me being like no direction direction is the problem like you know (laughs) just lots of me being weird yeah and i lasted in that like weird like temp space for about a year and then a church came to me and was like hey like I had, I had done because I'd done this work with these church planters and helping all of them launch. And I had also worked with a lot of like churches around town. I kind of had the reputation of like a fixer, like, oh, you can, you, if you need, if something's broken and you need to talk through it, like get Jeff the systems guy and he'll talk to you about the percentage of your population that has to show up to get into small groups in order to make them tithers. And so this church which was actually my in-laws church like my my wife's brothers all went there they had been in decline for like 20 years and they came to me and they're like hey we need you to come on staff and either close us or move us forward so i after a lot of wrangling i actually was refusing to do it because i was like i'm never going back into ministry again I had all these fights with all these pastors after I left several of them like held interventions. Like they'd like, Hey, do you want to go out for coffee? We haven't talked for two months. I'd be like, yeah. And then I'd show up and I'd like get off work. Like I'd take a day off work in my temp job where I was making an hourly wage to meet them for coffee at one o'clock because they didn't know what hourly wage was. And I'd be like, Hey, I'm here. And there's like two of them sitting there and they're like, yeah, we really wanted to talk to you about the decisions you've made and how you've done a, that bad thing to your family and like you need to go back to ministry jesus oh is sad about all the things that you've done and then there was always like a weird offer of like and you can come and work for us now and i was just like i don't what do, i don't like <laughs> no don't, so yeah no yeah. so i went to this I, my family then kind of did a similar thing where they're like hey this is what you're good at and we need you and i remember I was like hardcore, like, no, I will work as a secretary. We had lost our house at this point. Like we were homeless. I was actually living in my in-laws house with my three kids and my wife. And so mm-hmm. he came to me one night and he was like, Hey, we've been talking to you about this thing. He's like, you keep saying no, he's he's it, but we're on the Titanic and we're sinking and you're on a lifeboat and either get us all on the lifeboat or come and join us on the Titanic, but don't just watch us drown. And I was like, that's super unfair. And also I, I can't really say no, cause I live in your house. So um, <laughs> I don't have a job. So yeah, we, to- we know your financial situation. Yeah, right he's now. Got like, I, I know you, I don't have anybody. So 
I went to a, like, you know, you're homeless. You know that, right? It's like, yeah. So I went to work for them for five years. I came on a five-year contract. I was like, my ministry tenure seems to go in five-year circles. So I was like, I'll come for five years and we'll either like close this thing or change it. And I remember it was good because they were desperate and willing to do anything. And so I kind of threw out all of the like, church weirdness business world that I had brought. And, you know, I pulled all of them into a room, all of the leaders into a room. And I was like, Hey, let's just rediscover Jesus together. Just talk about that. So I was like, everybody bring their favorite passage. Nobody's allowed to teach. There will be no commentaries brought into this room. We're just going to go Quaker style. And you're just going to read this passage. And then we're just going to ask because of this, how should we live tomorrow? That's uh, all I want to know. I don't want to know like your interpretations of the Greek or anything like that. Just how should this affect your behavior tomorrow? And it was, I think, very healing for my wife and I. It was tough, right? Like it was a hard, like churches that are struggling, any organization that's struggling like that for 20 years has a lot of demons. And we, over that four-year period, kind of uncovered all of them (laughs) and let them all out. (laughs) A lot of ghosts in the building running around and i was way more therapist than i was pastor but it was oh, um yeah. yeah yeah but it was um it was good but at the end of it i was done so that was my second stint in ministry and then i went an organization i was four years into that five-year contract and a a nonprofit anti-human trafficking organization came to me and they're like hey we have this crazy problem we have, a, we have internal systemic issues can you please help us fix this and i was like yeah i can because i still had my like narcissistic tendencies in good strong form and so i was like yeah i'm a fixer this is what i do i will i will help fix you and i went to work for them and i knew i had started writing short stories as kind of like an emotional healing thing like okay i'm gonna write short stories to personally heal and i went to them and and in my first official meeting they're like so you're going to stop writing right because these short stories aren't jesus enough and it should have been a red flag it was a red flag but it was one of those things where like i was so obsessed with like what's my calling and what's my purpose and helping yeah and like this is i was always on search for my mission because like my parents had been missionaries and my father had done like world-changing work before he died and so i was like oh I also am supposed to change the world. And see, this is something that we, I've been having, uh, as I've been very public about it, I'm having really a lot of vocational issues. And one of them I think is, is stems from something that's beautiful, which is that my dad loves his job. And my dad is, was just retired, was good at his job. Same job. My dad was a doctor, did it in different ways, but same profession, loved it. Right. And so I thought, and I'm a three on the Enneagram. So I'm like, I can get my entire identity from what I do. I can just yeah. like, let me entertain you. Let me impress you in any way, shape or form. And now when I'm going to interviews and I get ghosted by like a, like a, a company that wants to pay me basically minimum wage, it is devastating. And it's like, Sarah, welcome to the, to the real world. And so many of my friends have gone through this before. But I think there is that piece of, but I'm meant to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the ministry offers that in a really beautiful and toxic way. Mm-hmm. In that, like, yeah. 
it gives you that purpose and but there's also a piece of it where it's like as we ascend to the pulpit every week or we ascend the like leader meeting every week there is this natural built-in like this is what i was meant to be doing and i know as a pastor i used to talk about it like oh no no calling is like a burden or calling is like a hard thing or calling is like a but i was still like i'm set apart but i really right. like it yeah <laughs> this is the i remember i used to say with pastors be like oh bro this is the hardest job in the world but i i'm like i just know that jesus has called me to this thing and there's this like weird mix of like you know fall of humility sometimes sincere sometimes false but also like in the humility elevating yourself is the like i'm the most humble person in the world it's like it's a little bit if if folks listening are uh jesus readers it's a little bit like uh john like i the 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 disciple jesus loved <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm the one. yeah 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 oh man i and i remember learning what real work was like i'm you know, I mean, yeah, pastors, I mean, work hard. But, Gosh, yeah, but really hard. There's also like, there's a difference between like, I work really hard. I work, you know, sometimes 60 hours a week, but I set my own schedule versus I work really hard and it's by someone else's schedules and someone else's deadlines. Like I worked landscaping for a while and it's like, that's, it's a different kind of job. And then I would volunteer at churches and they're like, hey, we're going to have a 7 a.m like training on Saturday morning, like we'll have coffee and donuts. Like, no, I'm not going to this. My weekend is now exceedingly sacred. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And 7 a.m. I am not, I'm not going to be awake. So yeah. And I, I remember getting calls yet for Patrick, like you were saying with your hourly job, like, yeah, let's meet. Yeah. Like 2 PM, like <laughs> for coffee. I'm like, no, like I, I will be at a job site on the other side of town. Like that, that, yeah. that won't work. Yeah. To meet you for two feet for coffee. I have to agree to not be paid. Yeah. I, yeah. I have to right. not, you know. Yeah. This is actually going to cost me money. Yeah. yeah so if you're going to pay me to come to this coffee, great. Well, and that's a beautiful thing too, is this idea of just even in this space where people have, I now have friends who don't know pastor Sarah, right? So it's been a year. So I now have friends from like my run group and, all this sort of stuff who never really knew Pastor Sarah. And so they're like, you're so exceedingly great at like meeting with people and having coffee, like showing up when people need someone to show up. But what I realized recently is like, oh, I show up for people even when I really don't have the time to do it because in my mind, I'm still paid to show up for people, right? And it, and it is a, a shift like, you're right, Justin, it's a different kind of work, but gosh, the idea of being able to like turn it off, turn it on, you know? Yeah. I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say that pastors don't work hard. I mean, a lot of pastors do. It's just, it is a very different kind of it's work. It's a different kind of work. Yeah. And it's a different, totally different mindset. And totally. I never like looked at Excel sheets until everything blurred together. And I started crying as a pastor. Right. As often yeah. as I did. Oh, you should have been a lead worker. pastor at United Methodist Church. I 100% have cried over <laughs> <laughs> an Excel spreadsheet. Like, what the hell is this? Well, and it may just be me, but like, I know one of the big hard things about leaving ministry and going to like, you know, what quote unquote normal non called work, normal work is I was always telling myself a story as a pastor. I was always like, I am in some way Peter, or I am in some way Paul. 
and I had this like ongoing narrative for myself that was like, oh, when I do this thing, we're starting this revival and we're like, <laughs> you know, and you'd like look at like yeah. Billy Graham and and I was in these rapid growing churches, so rapid growing. And I was like, you know, so we're crushing it. And this is like, we'd sit around at the downtown church I was working with and we'd like vision casting dream sessions as the staff and we had been told so much by everybody around us how awesome we were that we'd sit there and we'd be like okay so in two years we're going to have four churches and then in five years we're going to have 16 churches and we had like a map on the wall of like all the locations we believed that our churches were going to be like it was just this like did you have red string we i did have red string <laughs> yeah I you did. did i did nice. lots nice. of red I had different I colored thumbtacks for different types of locations we were going to have. I love that. Yeah. But then like it's, there's, but there's this story you're telling yourself. And then when I left ministry and I'm like folding boxes for a living, the story continued. Yes. Cause I was like, Oh, this is just Paul, his time, like seven years doing nothing. And then when I went to this old church that was like dying and I'm like playing therapist, I still have this story in the back of my mind. I'm like, Oh, this is just my next leg on yeah. the calling yeah. of my life. And at any moment I'm going to be recognized and like the revival is going to start and the greatness is going, the glory <laughs> yeah. of God is going to come to my mountainside. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, this is my dark night of the soul. This is going to preach yeah. so well. In oh five my gosh. Years. When I write my memoir, people yes. are going to love this section. Yes. Which I think yeah. there is something to be said about transcending and including those pieces. Right. Yes. Like I think, for me, part of my recovery has been healing in that being grateful for the time. And I think I'm in a space where that's okay, where I say, yeah, maybe, maybe it, it is part and a piece of my story, right? Like maybe it is important that I went through this. And it's a little bit like when I was younger, I one time yelled at my parents, this isn't going to look very good for you on my behind the music. Uh, <laughs> like, that's great. Like, when VH1 is a special on me, you're going to be sorry. Yeah, you're going to be so sorry. sorry of the yeah. way that you reacted here. But I think that's the when you're always looking for a story and meaning, which you became a writer, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But like when you're looking to take every story and immediately tie it into what happens, Justin and I have talked about this before. When you're particularly when you're a speaker, you like experience something and you're like almost like a sitcom. Like you're trying to figure out how you can tie that up tidily by Sunday, because that needs to be like on Monday, you're not going to believe what happened. And then this, yeah, you yeah. know, you're always in the writer's room in a lot yeah. of ways. Yes. Like you're always just in that, like, <laughs> yep. All right. How can we workshop this? How can we maybe tighten it up? Maybe we'll cut out this detail to make it like, this is going to be a funny story. It's yeah. Lead into my sermon. Yep. Like, it's much better if I don't tell the part where I was embarrassingly mean in this part of the yeah. story. It's better if I like clean right. it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And the, but then that's, that's the part that once you speak that that's actually what, I, and this is what I've learned. I, I may be alone here, but what I curate and then present becomes the memory. Yeah. Ah, you're not alone. I don't think, I think so, you're literally. No, that's, that's how so, memory works. That's, yeah. mem that's so, what memory is. <laughs> so then I legitimately do forget the time that I was an asshole. Yeah. Because I cut that part out. And, <laughs> and, and again, like, I think you, you summed it up well when you said like, it's, you know, the being a pastor is like, there's, there's beauty in it, but there's also a lot of toxicity in it. Like it's, you know, there's, there could be a lot of good in, in being able to present to people, but 10, 20 years into it, you know, the burnout, the, you know, it's, 
either you're like three of us, you're like, I'm burnt out now. Or your ego is like kind of so supercharged, you're not a person anymore. And and that's equally as bad as well for different reasons. They're the ones that get to say they're retired from ministry, which is great. Good for you. But you also like, uh, I think you we know, have Mars, Mars Hill, the Mark Driscoll, whatever, like, you know, we're going to get on the Mars Hill bus and we've left like a million bodies behind us or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's uh, a true statement. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I don't like that man at all, but I could admire the honesty of that statement. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you happily run people over yeah. and call it for the, for and, the sake of the mission in yeah. the name of Jesus. Yeah. And like, I was, I lived wow. in that for a while. Like I lived in that headspace for a while of like, you know, what's important for the church is most important. I think for me, the biggest, so I, I went to work for this anti-human trafficking organization, but it only lasted three months. Okay. I was going to ask because to me, it sounds like the red flags were there and yet the ego and the meaning part. Yeah. And the need to like continue my story. Yeah. Right. Like, and my wife and I would sit around and talk about like, no, no, this is the, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the like escape hatch from ministry. Like this is the next leg of the story. And uh, at three months in, they gave me this performance review. They're like, you have taken the organization farther than we ever thought it would go in 10 years. (laughs) But we're, we're really concerned about your relationship with Jesus. And like, we don't need to know the whole story, but like a couple of days later, I was, you know, asked to resign. And it was this crushing blow to this like narrative that I had running in my head that this was like where I was going to escape to. And this was like, this is where the glory was actually going to be found. And like, here's, you know, yes, Moses, this is my Bob Goff moment. Yeah. Now, Moses now had I'm to be a shepherd, but now lives. I'm, now I'm, gonna like find the 10 commandments like this is this is the moment and you know again i find myself like my wife was nine months pregnant with our fifth kid and i was I <laughs> stop just, that bus five yeah, deaf yeah fifth kid and we were we just bought a new house to take this job and i was like unemployed again with nothing and so you know thankfully i i started i actually started i i said like i'm gonna apply for 100 jobs a day because i think that's something that ministry does give you is the grit to be like you know it doesn't actually matter what that it may be ego it may be grit but it's like it doesn't actually matter what the challenge is like we can figure this out so i was like oh i'm go apply for a hundred jobs a day. I did that for two days. And then thankfully somebody called me and was like, Hey, stop that. Just come work for us. I was like, okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't employed, unemployed that time very long. And I fell in with a great company, but one of the, like my wife at that point, she's super wise. And she grabbed me and she's like, we need to stop living in the future. And we need to stop living in the past. And we just need to be right now. She's like, we need to stop thinking about like where this story uh. is going. And I used to, like, my father had this, like, you know, amazing career where he was, like, winning awards and he built hospitals in Africa and he wrote surgical textbooks. And so I was kind of, like, chasing his mirage in some ways. Like, I was like, oh, I will attain the glory of my father at some point. I, too, will be asked to speak at conferences in, you know, Sweden and Hawaii. And so, like, my wife being like, nice, well, you're already there, Sarah. <laughs> There you uh, go. Yeah. But my wife being like, hey, you have like we've got to stop chasing this thing and just be here and now. Yeah. yeah. It's when I finally had to like, you know, 15 years of ministry, I finally had to reckon with with me. 
and be like, okay, if I'm if I'm just left here, what is who am I and what am I left with? And what am I doing with all and who are these five children that I have like drug along on this, like my seeking to find a life mission. And I've like drugged them through all of these jobs. We have no money because we were never paid anything. Cause I would take jobs for no money because it was all like for the glory of for the Lord. The Lord will yeah. provide. Like, yeah, and for the yeah. Lord and for me, right? Like yeah. it's for the Lord and it's for my story, right? Yeah. Like because this job is a cool story. Yeah. So, you know, I I'm, definitely took jobs for the story and I currently re- regret yeah. regret that financial oh, I regret decision. So much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm eight years out. I seriously regret those financial decisions. Yeah. But yeah, and it's that like it was that I had really combined in my mind this idea of like doing it for God means writing this amazing narrative of my life in which I was the star and I was I was like the lead role in this movie which i think there's some point to that i mean i think there's some idea of like you know i think it's the holiday okay leave me alone but go with me but maybe the holiday where she's like i realize i've been playing the second character and maybe it's just as a as someone who lives in a female story and a different story i feel like for so much of my life and my career i was playing the second it was about like what do the lead characters need and that might even yeah. sometimes that was Jesus. Like, what is, how do I, how do I partner the other story better? And then for me, it was like realizing like, maybe I do need to be the lead character of my life. So I think there's both and, right? Well, I sometimes, think it's, yeah, I think it's the difference between being the lead character of your life and the lead character of like the world. Yeah. Oh, I was the lead <laughs> character of the world. I mean, yeah. as, a, as a cis white man, I have yeah. no problem falling into that role. Yeah. But yeah, that's totally what I was playing. Yeah. yeah so I think, yeah, I, and I think, and I do think cis white men are taught, like, be the lead character of the, of the world. And cis white women and everyone else are told, like, be the support character. So stay out of our way. That's stay out of our way. And so, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, yeah. but I do think taking the right, the right role of being like, I'm the main character in my own life. I'm literally the only one in here and, and being like, okay, that it's just my life. Yeah. Not everyone else's. And so I think, yeah, I think it, you can go either way certainly, but I, I do know that they were like, I am, I'm called to this city. Like I'm going to be the main character in <laughs> oh, this man. city. I said that so story. much. Those like, words came the Wikipedia out of article. Yeah. Of this yeah. city is going to include my name at some point, yeah. you know, or if not my personal name, at least the the story of my church. Yeah, right. Like yeah. then, that's how we like get around it. It's like, oh, it's not me; it's the the movement that I've founded. I can be a footnote, but yeah, I'll be two clicks away. I'll be two clicks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll be two. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are so great. I mean, it's just kind of honestly that like I have just so valued. Jeff, in even in Discord, like the way that you, because we have people at various parts in the, the recovery room, which is our Discord channel, people who are like literally someone today was like, ah, this is my first Sunday off. I went and had brunch and they wrote, I went and had a picnic brunch. What I read was I went and That's had really a funny. panic brunch. And I was like, no, I was like, I 100% oh, yeah. have had I a have, panic uh, brunch. You're going to be fine. Toast on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I've had a panic mimosa. We all have, but I love the way that you handle it because it's with this humility of someone who has sort of recognized your place in the world in a way that I think is really 
compelling. Like I think of this idea of you and your wife just sitting around and going like, what if this is yeah, it? What if that's like, enough? I realized like once I once I stopped chasing the like mirage of my dad's greatness, I came to this place where I realized like I had all these emotions that I connected with. And I had like I was completely disconnected from my body. And like, because I had intentionally shut my body off so that it like would not mm, slow me down. That's important. Right. Like I had shut down my anxiety so it would never cause me to like slow down. I had called that faith, but like had somewhere in there stopped listening to myself. Once a year, when I was a minister, once a year, I used to get really, really sick for like a week and a half. Mm. I would be like on death's door. Now I realized that that was my body saying like hey you have ignored us and you will sleep now like you will stop now but yeah and i did you know i did some stupid things it, when i after i got fired i got really angry and i wanted i was at this place where i was like i will never be i want to make sure i'm never hired by a church again so i wrote a novel and i put the f word on the 24 times on the first two pages because i was like if you google my name this is the novel you will find and you will read that first page and you will be like he is unqualified for ministry i was like i want to make right. sure i want to do everything they know and that i that and like for me it was like and the store closed so hard because i recognized how good the okay. narcissism okay. felt and that like i would come back mm. to it if you gave me a chance if mm. you gave me the opportunity and you came to me like five, i knew if you came to me five years from now and you're like hey we need an executive pastor just like you all of those triggers in my head would start firing and i'd be like yeah let's do that yeah there, yeah, yeah you, you do. do i'm the answer yeah. to your missions problem so there I, is something about being wanted like i'm coming for you like, yeah i want you you're like oh yeah yeah you do yeah well that's yeah, the whole call of the pastor for me anyway was like saying like hey i need you to come and do this thing with me and like you know i knew that if i didn't like somehow like burn the ships i was gonna be so writing for me became like how do i burn these ships so i i wrote books that i was like no church would ever let me pass and it, it was at, the first couple were hard because i was kind of hedging i was like i could feel myself as i was writing them i was like you know i'm dropping the f word but an edgy church would probably still let me through <laughs> yeah like, no i need to drop it in such a way that yeah, even so, the edgy churches yeah but it was good and i you know i started working for a car for a company that simulates difficult conversations so ah. we do i'm still there i've been there eight years we do a lot of like suicide prevention work we do a lot of work with the military we do a lot of work and i think what was great was it helped me realize like okay in this like insanity that I was in for 15 years of the pastorate, I, you know, something that I did come out of that with was the ability to talk to and understand people in a deep way. And that's kind of like, I lead the, the production team for that company now. And we call ourselves professional mimics. Like we sit down with experts on things around the world and we're like, okay, tell us how you have this conversation. And then we replicate that with like an AI, but it's been just realizing that like, oh, in all that insanity and all of my like bluster and crazy, you know, program building and event hosting and, you know, strategizing and whiteboarding and all that stuff, like at the center of all of it was always people and like being able to say like, oh, I did learn how to engage with people and how to listen and how to like, you know, have empathy for people around me 
And it was that, that empathy is the, like Sarah, you were saying like, there's good things that we carry out of it. For me, empathy was the thing that I carried out of it. That was like, this is where, this is the like superpower that ministry gave me was I can sit and listen to somebody and feel what they feel. I feel like that's the, you know, the compelling nature of why it was so fun to be like, Hey, you're a listener, but also like all of our listeners have yeah. compelling Every stories. single like, one. That is not, we joke around all the time, like that our discord is better than we are. But it, the truth is, is like, just even there'll be times I go to respond to someone and someone has written the most empathetic, compassionate yeah. and mm-hmm. present response that I'm like, all I can do is like, yep. I'm going to do a yellow heart. Why? Because a red heart seems like everyone else has done it. I'm going to yeah. do a yellow, yeah, whatever. I think when we've gone through so much having to, like you said, learning how to like, okay, a hundred applying to a hundred jobs. I can do that. Cause we've had to learn how to pivot so quickly when we've learned all these things, sometimes we negate or downplay the gifts that we did get. And one of them really is this empathetic. Like I've been, I've been punched a lot and I don't want to mm-hmm. punch other people. And I don't want to like, and I don't mean physically actually punch people. I mean, just like the experience of, I've had really tough things happen to people mm-hmm. that I really, really care about. And I'm, and I want to be better at being just absolutely present to what my life is and what their life is and how can I in any way connect. And that's the fascinating thing is my friend, when I was having a meltdown the other day about like, what do I do? He was like, I don't know, but all I know is that you're really good at being there. And it's a beautiful thing. I don't know what that's going to turn into. Right. And, and it wasn't out of ego. It's not like I like to sh- like, you know, it was more this, like, there is something that is uniquely a gift from this experience. Doesn't mean we have to see the rose, but it requires us to stop and be here. And that's what I love. I love about what you've said, this idea of like not being in the future not trying to write our future, not trying to like rewrite the past, but actually being in the mess of right now. Yeah. And I think another thing that's been beautiful on this journey is like, once I was able to let go of my holiness codes, like all of the rituals and rules that I used to follow that like, oh, this identified who I was. It opened me up to people in a, in a like new way. Right. Like, and so I have friends now and I find myself in places now that you know, super evangelical Jeff would have like dreamed of being in for very different reasons. But well, like, so for example, I remember I was sitting, my daughter was playing, this was like five years ago. And my daughter was playing basketball in a rec basketball league and I'm sitting on the sideline and I'm watching her coach and, you know, I'm just, they seem like they're struggling with the refs and like having a rough time. And so my empathy kind of kicked in and afterwards I walked over and I was like, Hey, do you want to go get a beer later? And it was like, my holiness codes would have never allowed that to happen because the coach presented his female at the time. And so, but I, you know, now, you know, they are my best friend. I learned that they were a trans lesbian Jewish person that I could, I did not know when they were the coach. With the basketball team, but <laughs> you know, we hang out for breakfast all the time and have a great time. And they have hugely educated me on that. Like they, they and their wife did this amazing thing for me where they like Tana sat down and spent four and a half hours, like trying to recorrect my thinking around gender, which was just an amazing experience. You know, so I was, yeah, that's a person that I never would have had in my life. Those are people I never would have had in my life if I hadn't of let go of all of my like rituals and rules that I was holding on to. Or like I was, I write 
I work for this company that mimics conversation, and then I write novels on the side. And I was good ones. Oh, thanks. I'm, I'm just started one of them. I know. I look, guys. I haven't been reading. Let's be honest. I'm so I'm trying to start again. But I I was writing a um this new thing started. It was called Vela, which is like serial fiction on Amazon. And when you're starting a small business as a writer, you you have to stay on top of all the new things. So I reached out to this writer that I really like named JP. And he and I, I was like, he was like, hey, do you, are you thinking about Vela? I was like, yeah, let's do one together. And we were like into episode six, which you publish an episode every week. We were like six weeks in. And it was like a Ghostbusters meets Brooklyn Nine-Nine type feel. Like it was just <laughs> stupid, fun, paranormal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, the lead character starts he's is male he starts having feelings for another man in the text that jp wrote and so i wrote jp and i was like hey is is our lead character queer <laughs> jp is like yes yes he is i was like okay so, so we write a couple more episodes and then yeah. another character is a lesbian and i write jp i'm like hey because jp is queer i was like hey is art is alexis a, a lesbian and JP's like, yes. And she's considering a transgendered lifestyle. I was like, oh, okay. And so I was <laughs> laughing that night with my wife. I was like, hey, guess what? I now write LGBTQ romance. Like, it's just nice. like, you know, nice. JP and I can write this. That's great. Um, if yeah. you had been planning the purpose of your life. Yeah. Well, like, right. you know, eight years ago when I was still in the spin of like the narrative of my own life and like my own greatness, if you had been like, hey, you're going to write lgbtq romance in a while you know to quote Bur bo burnham i would have been like that's nice now go away like, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, whatever but uh it just i just find myself now being present in life now and like allowing myself just to follow people wherever they go i just have beautiful relationships including yourself including myself like yeah 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 in a way that's not like a directive I need it to be this. Yeah. And trying to give my teenagers that freedom and trying to give my teenagers like that ability to like, I've got one in college now and one on the way to college and a 16 year old. And then this week, the fourth will turn 13. And then I have a nine year old who's a complete pistol, but they're like being able now there. We laugh that they're post deconstruction kids. Cause like, they have the f the freedom. Like my son was going, my wife has started working for a church again, like four years ago, no, two years ago, two years ago. And it was, it was an interesting conversation. Cause we were like, is this something, you know, you want to get is this back okay into? For our family? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she was like, well, yeah. I like, she works with the children. She's really gifted with it. She's like, I want to, you know, this is an opportunity to build something. And she's like, I, I want to do it. I was like, great. Just don't ask. Don't ask me to. Yeah, don't ask me to do yeah. anything. Yeah, I, I help with the fifth grade boys today. That was like the. I was like, I'll hang out with the kids, but please don't try to get me involved in any adult nonsense. Yeah, the but, church board is going to ask, like, so what does your husband do? Oh, he yeah. writes writes yeah, paranormal when, queer romance. Yes, sir. When they were paranormal yeah, queer when romance. they were interviewed me, they were like, "Where do you fall on?" Because they're very reformed, and we are very like you know, even when I was. Like deep into theology, I was very unreformed. I was very aggressively not reformed. And so, you know, we were talking to the elders and they're like, 
Jeff, where, where would you define your theology? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really more into like Gutoff Gutierrez, like, you know, social justice theology. Like, yeah. yes. he was like, uh, well, you have to promise never to teach here. I was like, I promise. <laughs> Deal. So, yeah. It's, um, I can make that promise for yeah, you. Yeah, but like I was talking to my teenager today, Logan, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to help in the nursery, but that means I have to be at the first service. And I was telling him, it's like, well, hey, every sermon you listen to, even the ones I, I used to give, listen to it with a like skeptical raised eyebrow. Like just go in there, paying attention with like half an eyebrow raised. And I said, I was like, I want the the question, like, really? Just stuck on your on your was like, and if you pull things out of there that are good and that are healthy for you, great, but let's go in with questions. And so being able to kind of help my kids like navigate that in a different way mm-hmm. than I was told to navigate it and that I taught other people to navigate it has been great. Like watching them, you know, my son is at Baylor now and his introduction to the Christian bubble has been very fascinating. He actually had a girl dump him because she was worried that he wasn't Christian enough. And he was like, he was like, how do you get that? She's like, you're a Democrat. He's like, <laughs> like you know. <laughs> so he was wow. like, it's good this relationship isn't going any further. Yeah. But yeah, it's that kind of like gathering, you know, being able to tell them. And we've developed all these sayings around our family. Because we, I know that some deconstruct and leave faith completely, and I like I've come to a place where I'm like, yes, do where you got to go. For me, I you know I've gone in and out. Right now, I'm more in than out. But I was telling myself, like I tell my kids, like, hey, if you really want to find where Jesus is, find the least powerful person in the room and go and stand next to them, regardless of what they believe or who they are, and that's where you'll find him. And so, watching my teenagers like play that out, like you know, has been. Great, but it's that like being able to separate their spiritual pursuit from the institution of church. Mm. Yeah, I'm just kind of rambling now, but that's been no, not post at deconstruction. All. I think yeah, that's been that's, really great for my wife. That's and really I good. Go, yeah, hey, this is an institution. You can participate in it as you want, but it is it is can help your spirituality, can hurt your spirituality, but it is not your spirituality. And like being able to like separate those two things. That's amazing. That's really good. I am so grateful. Like I said, it's not just like who you are, even to other folks in our discord. I'm grateful for, we talked earlier about someone in our discord, NATO, I think is Mm -hmm. his (laughs) name, just released a song that is incredible. Like we want to promote the stuff that folks are doing post this work and the cool stuff that doing. So we'll put links to like your work as well as links to NATO's stuff on you can get it on Spotify, Apple Music. People are doing such incredible things out of this. I'm just so grateful for your willingness to show up and to be there for people who are going, what just happened? Wide-eyed. They might even say, duh, fuck just happened because it's like the first time they've been able to say fuck. I mean, they're just sitting there going, who am I? Do I matter anymore? And to have someone who's a couple years out going, no, you matter. It's just in a different way than you ever thought. Yeah. I think it's just such a gift. So thank you. Well, I think I really wanted somebody when I was, when I first, the first time I came out after 10 years in, I think what my wife and I really wanted was for somebody just to put their arm around us and be like, Hey, you're not crazy. Like right. what yes. you see, you saw, you know, I know that the, that like all of the people that are struggling with your, you know, evolution and your thinking are in 
intentional and unintentional ways gaslighting you, but you are not crazy. Like what you experienced did happen. It is real. And that's part of what I love about this community that you two have built is that it's a, it's a beautiful community to come around people and be like, Hey, you're not crazy. Like this is, this is, this is real. This, what happened to you happened to you and there is life after it. Right. Like I think that's, so I appreciate what y'all have done and what you've built. It's, it's a really great thing to be a part of, to be able to see people in all stages of this you know, having the freedom to figure out where they are and having the support to figure out where they are without being nervous about like what that means for the next step in their journey to be like, Hey, Mm -hmm. you know, we can be with you right now. Oh, well, thank you so, so much guys. Thanks so much for sticking around. Thank you for all the ways that you support each other. And yeah, again, we will of course have more information about how you can join the discord, or even if you don't want to guys, you can be involved on Instagram, Facebook. We're trying to get better at Facebook. We're, We're doing our best, guys. We're just trying our best. So again, thank you for joining us for another episode of Recovery. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on Recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the Recovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the Recovery room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show, as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com slash revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Revcovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Another live event is coming up, and we want to meet you face-to-face. Our friend Trip Fuller of the Homebrew Christianity podcast is throwing what can only be described as the ultimate podcast party, and you all are invited. Theology Beer Camp is a three-day theology podcast beer nerd fest. It sounds like a great time. And for $50 off registration, make sure to put Revcovery in the discount section. So come thirsty and get ready to get nerdy for three days of theological zest. Uh, that's going to be October 13th through the 15th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can check it out at theologybeer.camp. And don't forget to use our code. Gets you $50 off. We would love to see you there. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Friends, thanks again for staying around for another episode of Recovery and for sticking around for the end to hear this week's quote or poem. It's actually going to be a quote. As I was listening to Jeff share his story and as I've been listening to several folks, I think there is this shift that often happens for those of us who are leaving or transitioning in ministry. And it's that moment when we realize that we've kind of been playing the role of who we once thought was our boss. We we kind of decided that we were the savior of the world. And although it comes from perhaps a good place. It's definitely not necessarily what the world needs. And so this quote is one that I thought was really helpful for me as I kind of had to release this idea of I'm the one who needs to change the whole world. So this is from Rumi. Yesterday, I was clever. So I wanted to change the world. Today, I'm wise. So I'm changing myself. And again, that is from Rumi. Friends, wherever you are in this journey, I hope this week that you will remember that it isn't our job to fix everything, but that we can indeed continue to focus on making sure that we are a helpful part of this world. So thanks again for joining us for this week's Recovery.